Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening, come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. and welcome to this online-only edition of Sunday School. We're in Romans, week 16 of our year-long series, and today's text is Romans 6, verses 1 through 14. A gentle reminder, as we do each week, I want to make sure that we are spending the appropriate amount of time asking the Holy Spirit for help, looking to the pages of Scripture, talking to those also in the church before we engage with individual tools, such as commentaries and the like. So our approach each week has been the same, to read, explain, apply, and personalize the text. Our outline for the book of Romans, uh, summarized from the ESV's outline, we've completed portion one. Uh, We took three weeks to look at Paul's introduction and righteousness introduced in chapter one, verses one through 17. Spent six weeks on righteous wrath, chapter one, verse 18 through 320. And then spent three weeks on saving righteousness in chapter 321 through 425. And uh, today we are in the third part of the fourth major section of Romans, where we're going to be spending 11 weeks. Today's week three of that 11-week portion um, about righteous freedom in chapters 5 through 8. When we finish with that section around July the 4th, we'll move into uh, righteousness toward the Jews in in chapter 9 through 11. Uh, and then moving to Righteous Living, chapters 12 through 15, uh, and then closing around November and wrapping up in December. So today's text is Romans 6, verses 1 through 14, and we will start in chapter 5, verse 1, and read up through Romans 6, 14 to give the context for today's lesson. Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life." More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. 
Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we be Scratch that. Click, 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 click. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. And we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all. But the life he lives... He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So let's move into our explained portion of the lesson. Uh, Dead to sin, alive to God is the section heading for this text of Romans 6, verses 1 through 14. And as we talk about each week, Bible study is about asking and answering questions about the text. So let's ask some questions. And the first is, are there any literary or structural observations? So take a sec, put the text in front of you, Romans 6, 1 through 14, and look at the text. Now, what you'll notice is that Paul starts this section with four questions, a pattern we've seen him use before and one we'll see him use plenty of times in the future in Romans. And he also begins to use some imperatives or commands in Romans chapter 6. Now, in all of Romans chapters 1 through 5, he only used one imperative, and it showed up in Romans 3 verse 4. But Paul uses five imperatives in Romans 6. And what we see is he he is beginning to sprinkle in some practice into his doctrine. He's adding orthopraxy or behavior to the orthodoxy of the belief. And we would be wise wise to remember the orthopraxy that 
there is a behavioral, and there's your first blank if you've got your hand out in front of you, there's a behavioral component to Christianity. It's not just facts and figures. Those facts and figures impact the way in which we behave, which impacts the way that we feel, our orthopathy, which impacts then and fuels a good study of orthodoxy. Uh, and these things are connected. We've talked about this in the past in our series in Romans. But there is definitely a behavioral component to Christianity. And Paul starts to, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, starts to sprinkle this into the text of Romans. And we're going to see much more of this as we move through. But he had to lay a serious foundation of good doctrine before we could set uh, our foot towards acting out and living out the Christian faith. So let's look at uh, what do the words mean. So get your hand out in front of you there, and we'll look at uh, Romans 6, verse 1. So what shall we say then? So it's future active indicative. So we're talking about the future. It's active tense, and we're in the indicative uh, mood. What shall we say then? Are we to continue or stay or remain or abide in sin, in this offensive behavior, in this sinful behavior, that grace, that charis, may abound? And this abound is in the subjunctive mood. There's a probability or possibility, but it's not like the indicative. The indicative is a statement of fact. And the subjunctive is it's probable to happen or it's possible to happen, but it's not a it's not a guarantee. So the question is, are we to continue in sin that grace has the potential to abound? And the answer is obviously no, by no means. Paul uses this phrase many times. Uh, this by no means. It's translated, God forbid, in some other uh, translations, but the ESV uses by no means. It shows up in Romans 3, 4, 3, 6, 3, 31, 6, 2, 6, 15, 7, 7, 7, 13, 9, 14, 11, 1, 11, 11. It shows up a lot in Romans. And what Paul is doing, he's asking and answering questions to get his readers engaged. These people are listening to a letter being read and he's walking them through questions. He's, he's still a lawyer. He hadn't stopped being a lawyer just because he's not pounding away against wrath. He's still in this lawyerly argumentative, uh, not in a having an argument, but presenting an argument uh, mode all throughout Romans. So verse two, by no means. How can we who died, now this word means to be to dead, uh, to have been died off. Uh, your three blanks here are lies a dying, L-I-E-S space A dash dying, D-Y-I-N-G. Uh, and the idea here is that someone who is dead and lying in front of you so with that mental picture, how can we, we, us, who died, we are laying dead in front of sin, still live in it? And that makes no sense. This makes absolutely no sense, how you could be completely dead to something, but you still live in it. Now, my family just moved into a new house uh, a week and a half ago. And in our neighborhood, there's a lot of new houses going up. And if somebody were to die in the building process, we would not put that dead body in the driveway. That makes no sense because you put dead bodies in the ground. You put dead bodies where they are supposed to go. Dead bodies don't live in something else, except in Christianity. Because when we die to sin, we are going to live for something else. And that's what Paul moves into in verse 3. Do you not know? Are you, another way to say this is, are you ignorant? Or do you not understand that all of us who have been baptized or been made fully wet or baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So Paul is connecting baptism with death. Not with any death, with Christ Jesus' death. 
And then verse four, we were buried. So this is the going under. We were buried, therefore, with him by death through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised, raised again from the dead. The Greek word is necros. It's completely dead. You're, you're not partially, you are completely dead from the dead by through the glory, dia, of the Father. Now, there's a little phrase in the Greek that's omitted in the ESV uh, in this way, and I think it's omitted because it actually makes the English very awkward, and it doesn't add a lot of clarity to the English text. Uh, And this is where English translators work very diligently to make sure that if something exists in one language, that you may not need to bring it over into a second language if you're translating because it may not add clarity for the listeners of that second language. So this is a good, wise move, I think, here by the ESV. Um, Otherwise, it would sound like this. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, in this way we too might walk in newness of life. The, that phrase, in this way, isn't necessary for the understanding of that particular text because we already are saying, we too might walk. Now, let's talk about that, we too might walk. Just like back in verse 2, the by no means was in the subjunctive mood, this is the same mood for verse 4 of this, we too might walk. It's aorist, it's active, and it's subjunctive. There's your next blank. And this is probability or possibility that we might walk. It's not a guarantee, but this provides an opportunity for that to occur. So we might walk in newness or renewal or newness of life. Then we have a new paragraph. For if we have been, this is perfect tense. So this is completed action with the results continuing. So we have been united. So sometime in the past... This action was completed. This united with Christ in death, that was completed in the past, and the results are continuing. So we have been united. And that word united means grown with or planted together. Think of uh, uh, things being grafted together. We're going to see this language again from Paul uh, in Romans chapter 11. We've been united with him in a death like or in a form or a resemblance like his. We certainly shall be united with him in resurrection. Now, if you look at the the mood of that we might walk in verse 4 and contrast that with the we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection in verse 5, verse 4 is subjunctive, it's possibility. Verse 5 is indicative. It is a fact. Paul firmly believes this. And the Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul. So the Holy Spirit firmly believes that we shall be united with him in resurrection. If you are united with Jesus in death, you will be reunited with him in resurrection. And this is a beautiful hope. And hope is a wonderful thing. Verse 6, we know that our old or antique or not recent or worn out self was crucified. And I'm glad. I'm glad that my worn out self was crucified. Not just my physical body, but my worn out nature was crucified with him, with Jesus, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Now, this word body here, it literally means the physical body. 
Uh, in English, a body of something can be described can be describing someone's work. They're a collection or a comprehensive grouping of someone's work. It almost implies that there's a little bit of wordplay. That's not present in the Greek. So it's it's not what the Greek is trying to say here. Every once in a while, the English translation will look like, oh wow, that's in, that's interesting. God put that there in the Greek so that it would translate this way in the English. Let's let's be very gentle walking down that path. He wrote it in Greek. We're to understand that. That is good. That's helpful. It's order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Again, you see that word might, and this is why we use the word might because it's in the subjunctive mood, the aorist middle subjunctive. That's your next blank. And this word brought to nothing means entirely idle, entirely useless, something with no power to operate on its own. So a couple weeks ago, I took a laptop battery out of a laptop and I asked someone to turn it on and operate that computer. And, and you can't. If it's disconnected from a power source, from a plug into the wall, and it has no battery inside, it has no power to operate. So this is the, the mindset going into verse 6. We know that our old self, the old broken down self, was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that it might have no power. And this is good, because we don't want the body of sin having power. Because, and there's a comma after that brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We would no longer be a slave to sin. Now, nobody wants to be a slave. Nobody wants to be a slave. But you certainly don't want to be a slave to sin. Because sin consumes. Sin eats. Sin is voracious. Sin never stops wanting more. It never slows down. We're going to see that contrasted here in just a bit. Verse 7, for one who has died, or the same word for lies a dying, this is dead, one who has died has been set free, and this is the perfect tense. This is completed action with the results continuing. So when you die, you've been set free from sin. And that word set free is the word that's generally translated justified in Romans. That's your next blank, justified in Romans. So let's read that with the word justified. For one who has died has been justified from sin. And what is justification? It's a legal declaration of not guilty. Because sin only impacts living things. Sin doesn't impact the dead. Which makes sense. But Paul is making that crystal clear for us here. That once death occurs, sin's power is over. It is no power to operate. And then verse 8. So now if we have died, again, this word lies a dying. If we have died with Christ, if we are laying dead at the feet of Christ because he has died too during his death, we believe. And this is beautiful. We believe that we will also live or live in common with. Your two blanks here are co-survive. Co-survive with him. And that's what we will do. Because his resurrection assures our resurrection. His death we identify with through baptism. His resurrection we identify with. It is a beautiful thing. Verse 9, we know, and this is perfect tense, so this is no, we know something in the past, and the, the results are continuing. We see, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never lie a dying again. He died once, and that's it. He will never die again. 
and there is hope in that. Death no longer has dominion over or rules or has dominion over or your blank is Lord with a lowercase l. Lord or be Lord over, exercise lordship over him. Death is not going to be lording over my Lord. That is not the way death works. And because death doesn't lord over my Lord, death doesn't lord over us, which is beautiful. So verse 10, for the death he died, again, Liza dying, he died to sin once for all. And if this reminds you of something in the Old Testament that was not once for all, good, it should be. Because this is a head fake from Paul, nodding back to the Old Testament, reminding us that other sacrifices were not once for all. But the life he lives, it's present active, right now he is living. He lives, present active, to God. So the death for sin was once for all. He lives now for God. Verse 11, so in this way, you must also consider, and now we start to get into these imperatives. So there's your next blank, present middle imperative. And this is the Greek word legizome. We talked about this many, many times uh, several weeks ago. This is the taking inventory, the estimating, concluding, esteeming, imputing, numbering, reasoning, reckoning. Uh, this is the counting word. So in this way, you must count yourselves or credit yourselves or impute yourselves as dead to sin and alive to God. So again, I, I love the ESV's section headings, dead to sin, alive to God. Pulls it right out of the text. That's what this section of text is all about. So when we who are believers look at sin, we are dead to sin and alive to God. And then Paul's going <laughs> Paul's going to flesh that out in verses 12 through 14. So let not sin therefore reign or rule. Again, this is an imperative, present active imperative. So right now, we are commanded not to let sin rule. Where? In our mortal or liable to die mortal body. To make us, and he's going to clarify what that, what that looks like. What does sin ruling look like? To make us obey or conform or hear or heed its passions. When we obey Sinful passion, that is sin reigning in our body. And we are commanded right here in Romans 6, 12, not to do that. We're commanded not to let sin reign. He clarifies it more in verse 13. Do not present another imperative, present active imperative. And this word present means to be standing beside, to exhibit, to, to be at hand or to help. Uh, I want you to get the picture of an elderly person that has a long flight of stairs ahead of them. And this person is walking with a walker. And, and we would not let an elderly person walk up a long flight of stairs by themselves. We would come alongside. We would give a hand. We would, we would stand beside and aid them. And this is what Paul is saying we cannot allow sin to do. We can, excuse me, we cannot allow ourselves to do. We are not to stand alongside sin as instruments or utensils or tools for unrighteousness. We are not to help sin be unrighteous and to spread unrighteousness and to get to where it wants to go. That is not our job as Christians. And this word instruments is not just 
When you see the word utensil on your handout, you may think, oh, we're eating again. No, 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 no. A utensil is any type of a thing that can be used um, in the hands. It's a tool, and it's in the sense of an offensive war. Because sin consumes. Sin never stops being aggressive. So we're not to lend it a hand. We're not to help it out. We're not to aid it along in its quest for unrighteousness. But what are we to do? Another command. Present. Same word as before. To stand beside, to lend, to give a hand. This is an aorist active imperative. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. There is something different about Christians. We should be acting different because we are different. Pagans are still dead. This is why we do not expect them to live according to God's standards. They have no power to do so. They are dead. We, however, have power, the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us to be able to live as members to God as instruments for righteousness. We are different as believers, so we are commanded to present ourselves to God, to show up, to lend a hand, to help God in his work, use our members, our limbs, our parts of our body to God as instruments, as offensive war tools in his hand. And if that sounds aggressive to you, please understand we have an aggressive enemy. There's nothing passive about the Christian life. It's an active life. It's a working life. It's not working for our salvation. This is working out our salvation. This is working out what God has put in. And this is good both for us, both for the world, and for God. This brings God glory. Because of verse 14, for sin will have no dominion. It will not lord over you. And he's talking to Christians. Sin will not lord over Christians since we are not under the law but under grace. This is not about nomos. This is about charis. It's a huge, huge difference here. So that's what the words themselves mean. So are there any repeated words? Yeah, there's gobs of repeated words. This is a big text. The word we shows up a bunch. The word sin shows up a bunch. The word Christ, God, baptized, death, life, live, grace, members, instruments, righteousness, present. You may want to pause right here and take some notes. Go back and stare at the text and see what are these words that show up multiple times. Next question there, is there any repeated topics? Yeah, we're comparing sin and the law. We're comparing sin and grace. We're comparing death and life and death and resurrection. Lots of different compare and contrast uh, things that are going on uh, in this particular text. All right, so let's look at some observations of the text. I've got a lot of notes here in my teacher notes. Uh, and you can go to stuartheights.org slash Sunday School and click through the links and get to our teacher notes that we post online. Uh, just a couple blanks to fill in, and we'll, we'll get to those, but I want to talk for a little bit before we get to those blanks. So verse 1, uh, what shall we say then? Are we able to, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, by no means, right? I mean, Paul's trying to get his... Uh, readers to pay attention, and, and a good teacher will ask questions that he or she knows to be wrong to ensure the listeners are engaged. 
our pastors do this regularly when they preach. They'll read something incorrectly or they'll ask a question that you, you think, wait, wait, that's, that's not quite right. Exactly, that's not quite right. We're supposed to be actively engaged and listening in the process. And that's what Paul is helping us to see. So how can we who died to sin still live in it? Well, the answer is no time at all, right? How, how much time should we live in sin? Well, we shouldn't live in sin at all. Uh, verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. So Paul's giving us a little primer on baptism here. It's about Jesus' death. And then he comes back and he says, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He finishes up this primer. It's also about Jesus' resurrection. Uh, Amy Velosen sent me a great quote this week from uh, her commentary Hughes. said, being under grace does not mean that we have free reign to sin. Since we're under grace, we are, required, we are a changed people and our lives should reflect Christ. So I think now's probably a good time to ask a few questions. So here's your next blank on your handout. Who do I reflect? Do I reflect Christ or do I reflect sin? And that answer is going to be important. And I think that we should regularly ask this question. Because the believer, if we are reflecting Christ, that is good. That is an assurance of our salvation. For the believer, if we are reflecting sin, that is a sign that we need to repent and believe. For the unbeliever, the unbeliever will never reflect Christ. He doesn't have it in his power to reflect Christ. The unbeliever will only reflect sin, which should scare you a little bit if you are a believer and you look at your life and you say, I think my life is reflecting sin right now. Well, we, we need to check and make sure we're actually in the faith. That's a great question to ask. So who do I reflect? Do I reflect this newness of life or do I reflect this sin abounding state, which is uh, incredibly sad. So verse five, for if we have been united with him, uh, Hughes says, picture a branch bound to one another. And again, we're going to explore this a lot more in Romans chapter 11 when we talk about the Gentiles being grafted in, what that looks like theologically and spiritually and how what this means from the Old Testament and the New Testament and all these different aspects of ecclesiology that we'll, we'll need to wrestle with in Romans 11. So if we've been united with him in a death like his, so we're united with Christ in death, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And we're united with Christ in resurrection. Just real clear, real plain very straightforward. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So death breaks the bondage to sin. It could either be my personal death or it can be Christ's death for me. And I choose Christ. And I hope you do too. Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And this is one of the many ways in which Jesus is better. Death no longer has dominion over him. I'll put my Jesus up next to any other God that has ever been proposed in the history of mankind or that will be proposed in the future because death has dominion over them and death does not have dominion over my Jesus. Verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. So again, this is contrasting the Old Testament sacrificial system of repeated death of sacrifices, repeated death of sacrifices, repeated death of sacrifices. You would not have to live very long under that Old Testament environment, under that Old Testament law, to watch and to see that this 
whole thing is insufficient. Not insufficient to save, but insufficient in time. We keep having to do this. Why do we keep having to do this? Because the perfect sacrifice hasn't shown up yet. And we look forward to that perfect sacrifice. That was the Old Testament view. As New Testament believers, we now look back on that perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we say, thank you, Jesus. We place our faith in that the sacrifice actually occurred. The Old Testament saints looked forward and placed their faith that the sacrifice would occur. We look back, they looked forward. It's the same faith. It's the same Messiah. So in verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. This is the command to us right now. We're not allowed, we're not to allow sin to rule in our fleshly bodies. We serve a better master than sin because sin wants to make us obey its passion. Sin wants what it wants. Sin is speaking to us. And I want you to contrast sin with Christ who wants something from us. He wants what the Father wants for us. And Christ is speaking to us as well. So we have sin's voice. We have Christ's voice. Who are we going to listen to? This is one of the important questions of life. Verse 13, do not present yourselves, present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for Righteousness. So God desires to use our earthly bodies, broken and bruised as they are, for his glory. He can use our mess. It is beautiful. You may say, well, well, Jim, my, my, my life's in shatters. My life is in pieces. It's been shattered. It's, it's just a mess. Okay, that's more pieces for him to work with. He's okay putting the pieces together. That's what he does. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you. Believer, sin has no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So I challenge you, live like it. Wallow around in grace and don't mope around in the law. Bob Goff has a great quote on this. He says, grace means we don't need to airbrush our lives to make them look perfect when they're not. Because let me give you a hint. Our lives aren't perfect, but we will wear ourselves out if we want to stay under the law Get out from under the law, get into grace, and let's live like it. So let's look at the application. What's the point? Application number one, Christians are dead to, hope you know the answer, sin. And you can contrast that with unbelievers who are alive to sin. So the personalization, what do we do with that? Well, we live like it. I want you to live in grace. I want you to live in love. I want you to live in freedom. I want you to live in hope that there's a better tomorrow. Because the unbeliever who's alive to sin only has more sin and the repercussions of sin, which is death and separation from God to look forward to. That's a sad life. Number two, application. Christians are alive to God. And you can contrast that with unbelievers who are dead to God. So what do we do with that fact that we're alive to God? Well, we should live like it. We should praise the Lord. We should worship the Lord. We should serve the Lord. We should obey the Lord. There are things that we are actively supposed to do. Our orthopraxy is supposed to respond and come out of our orthodoxy so we can live like it. And I think the third, this is my idea of a joke here, but death and life aren't rocket science. You should be able to look at your life and see, am I dead or am I alive? So what do we do with that? We should examine ourselves frequently examine ourselves. This is a good, good practice to be in. So that's the lesson for today. 
Uh, next week's lesson on Mother's Day is Slaves to Righteousness. That sounds like a great Mother's Day topic. Uh, Amy Vlosen will be teaching for us that day, and I am thrilled to have her back. This is uh, year four or five of her speaking for us on Mother's Day. Uh, so you got some homework between now and then. Uh, our resources, remember the order matters here, the Holy Spirit. Uh, we've got the Bible. Uh, we're using the ESV translation for this, so we're all literally on the same page. We've got the church. Uh, we've got a Fleming Sunday School class on Facebook that you can engage and, and talk about. There's some tools available as well. Um, and you can go to uh, bit.ly slash Romans 2017. And we've got gobs and gobs of resources that want to make available uh, that folks have made available online that we're making available to you as well. Uh, all of it's free. And then our process is ask the Holy Spirit for help. Read Romans. Talk about Romans. We've got a Facebook group just for Romans. Uh, if you go to Romans 2017 on Facebook, you can find us and dive into the conversation there. And then you can send feedback in to me uh, by Wednesday of each week so we can get that included into the lesson for the following week. My email address is jim314 at yahoo.com. Uh, yes, I'm old and slow and still have a Yahoo email address, uh, but it works, so we will use it. So send me any feedback that you've got by Wednesday. We'll love to include that. Uh, otherwise, we are finished with the lesson for today. So thanks for listening in. Uh, the podcast is free and available uh, on iTunes, and you can also go to stewardheights.org slash sundayschool and subscribe to that so that you can make sure you don't miss any lessons as we go through Romans. Thanks so much, and God bless.